Best Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't... So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip, 6-1 to to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff to talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going to highlight baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sports. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry? Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, he is where he's out. Yes, Brad is out. Look at, look at this. Brad is out. And uh, Damon it mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any sell the team oh yeah welcome back it's past ball show on tr radio network of course this is john pielli and i'm joined by wire for sports host chris speziali what's up buddy would help if I had your microphone on. <laughs> How you doing there, my friend? Yeah, I tell you, every time I have somebody in studio, I do the same <laughs> damn thing. Hey, you, you know, get you get in a groove when you're here by yourself. I totally understand. You know, and I'm I'm so like I'm so conscious of just making sure I shut the microphones off when I when I'm off the air, that I turn mine on and nobody else's. It happens. I, I think I when I had I had uh, I had my buddy Tony on last week. I did the same freaking thing to him. He's like he's he wants to get in on this rant about the Yankees, and I'm like. All right, I guess I'll, I guess I'll let people listen to hey, it right now. You are, you are in complete control. That's the cool thing. You can, if I wanted to go on a rant, you could just shut me right down if you wanted well, to. That's the power that you have, my friend. Well, the problem, the problem of me being in control is the fact that I'm in control. <laughs> I mean, you just it, don't know what to do with the power, right? I mean, that's that. I'm probably the wrong person to be in control. <laughs> that's really the major issue here, but. Listen, I wanted to start out, and uh, in a little bit we're going to be joined by former former Major League outfielder Aaron Guile, who's going to join the program in a little bit. But now that I have you on, I got Mr. Boston here. Yes. I want to get into some of the stuff that's going on with the Boston Red Let's Sox. Let's do that. The, I, I guess you would say a little bit of a metamorphosis going from a team that you know started the season on the field to what you have right now. And before I get into details, I want to let you – Pretty much put it in perspective of what are you looking at with the 2013 Boston Red Sox? Well, you know, I, a lot of people are are curiously looking at Ben Charrington and saying, what what exactly are you trying to do? Um, and I have some of those moments myself. The major piece of this, and this is actually breaking news, is that it, it appears as though the Red Sox and Mike Napoli are abandoning their contract. Okay. Um which is kind of a big deal, especially based on the timing of this. Exactly, because Adam LaRoche just signed yeah, with Washington. Right. He was their backup plan. Um, and so now we're not entirely sure what's going to happen as far as first base is concerned. And that was a big hole that Charrington was trying to fill. Uh, I, I get what he's trying to do one through nine. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I get it. 
what I am impressed with is how he is assembling his bullpen. I really love the addition of Hanrahan. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't think it looks bad. I love the addition of U, of Uihara. I think that we can expect bounce a bounce back year from Daniel Bard and a bounce back year from Andrew Bailey. So I, I, I'm impressed with the way that they've, he's gone about and done that. You can never have too many relievers. Um, and, you know, we haven't even talked about Breslow or Miller or any of those other guys. And then he can throw Sebus. maybe a Sevis, you know, who exactly. is up and down. But he's his responsibility will be, you know, push down the, the totem pole a little right. bit, which I think could help. I think depth-wise, the Boston Red Sox bullpen looks a lot better. I actually don't think their pitching staff looks that bad. I mean, you start out, and obviously you're going to need uh, a bounce-back season from John Lester. I think that's what you're going to have to start out with. I think if you get a performance from Clay Buckholtz like you got two years ago, I think that you know that's going to make a big difference. John Lackey's coming off of Tommy John surgery. Ryan Dempster is a question mark, but his upside is still very good. If Ryan Dempster has a, has a Ryan Dempster-type right. season, the Boston Red Sox fan is going to be very happy. So I think overall the pitching staff is better at this point now than it was coming into the season last year. And you kind of you hit the nail on the head there too. You know, you want to talk about like putting a word or phrase on the 2013 Red Sox, it's bounce back. Yeah. Cuz the last season they had uh, it was it was it was an anomaly because every single one of their players had the worst season of their career all at the same time. Which is wild. You don't you don't ever see that sort of thing happen. It happened to Boston. I don't think Bobby Valentine helped that situation. Well, also Bob, way, Bobby Valentine had the worst managerial right. season of his exactly. career. Also, <laughs> um, so so there's that. Uh, I think that they're not going to be asking a lot from Ryan Dempster. I don't. Th- I think he's going to end up being our number four starter. Uh, and you're going to have which the opportunity. probably would be fine for him too. Yeah, no, he's not, think, he's, he's not. He's not the kind of guy that says, "Listen, I want to be a number one." I think also too, if 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 a guy is successful. He will more willingly accept his role. So if Dempster goes, Dempster's better than a lot of the number four starters out there in the major leagues, in the, in the American League in particular. Uh, so if you slot him there and he has success, I think he'll be very happy as the number four guy. The the guy to watch, in my opinion, is John Lackey. I think he has the potential to be the comeback player of the year in the American League. I think it's possible, and I think the the issue with him, obviously, is how far did he digress before the Tommy John surgery. Right. And I think there were some questions going into, you know, the last year. He was getting lit up by the time that, you know, by the time he ended up uh, missing the rest of the season having the operation. I think you have to see where the correlation is between the injury that he had, how much was he pitching hurt, and how much was he on the decline. And I think that's going to really determine what kind of pitcher you're going to get in John Lackey. I think that you. I go back to his last couple of seasons with LA. He got the contract he got with Boston because he was one of the most sturdy pitchers. Yeah, he was very durable in the American League. And I, you, you really do have to wonder just how, at, at what point during those two seasons did his arms start to betray him a little bit? So I think, and also too, with the addition of Farrell, the manager, he's a pitching coach. So you bring him in, and I think that there'll be a, 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 a nice correlation between a bounce-back year and the addition of Farrell as the head coach of the Boston Red Sox. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and actually going, you know, and, and to get off the pitching and get kind of to the, to the lineup of what they're going to put out there now, some of the moves they made I thought were, were good. I don't think they went out there and made the huge splash like they did in years past, and I think that kind of became their mantra. They decided, listen, we're not going to go after the quote-unquote sexiest player, the player that you know is going to command the most money and maybe give us the most return. We don't want an all-star at every position. We want to put the best team on the field. 
And I think guys like Victorino and Johnny Gomes and David Ross, and if they end up coming up with a solution of what they're going to do for first base, they could do better than they did last year. And I think a, uh, you know, a, a team that lost 93 games probably couldn't do much worse. <laughs> So, so That's I think the truth. so I think they could start out by thinking that you know number one they should be able to push for a 500 record and number two if things go right and things you know players perform the way we expect they could potentially battle for a wild card spot. Pitching and defense. If if the pitching staff bounces back, they've got they've got a real real potential. And you're bringing back your core on offense, which I think is really important as well. You're bringing back. Ellsbury, you're bringing back Middlebrooks, you're bringing back Pedroia and Ortiz, and Ellsbury on a on a contract here too. Right, exactly. Um, and I I think he's going to walk. He will not be. A, it's going to. It would be end. hard to see him. Uh, he's obviously not going to sign an extension. He's right. a he's a Boar's client. He's gonna he's gonna wait out the free agency and go to the highest bidder. Wait out the free agency and I think go to the highest bidder. For him to stay, I think the end of the Red Sox for a couple of years that they probably have made over the last couple of years are probably not going to give him that contract. Where's he going to end up? I have no idea. Where's he going to end up? Cody Ross type effect on the Boston Red Sox. Someone who will scrap, he's not going to hit 350, but he's going to hit a bunch of doubles. He's going to play solid defense at short, and he's going to be a really good clubhouse guy. Plus, he's he, you know his brother already played here, so he he has a little bit of an idea about what he's walking into. Uh, so Stephen Joy, I think, will be a nice addition for the Red Sox. Also. How many how many people from a Boston perspective are looking at Stephen Drew and saying it's JD Drew all over again? Well, a lot of people are, yeah. but I, I I don't think that that's a healthy way to <laughs> that's not a healthy way to start the off season. Yeah, there, you know the season ends, you get into spring training. It's it's optimism renewed, and I, I'm I am choosing to take the path. Of the, uh, the the happier Red Sox fan, uh, I'm looking at things, trying to stay positive, and I, I think Drew will be a good a good addition. The only the only one that really concerns me is Victorino, and that's just based on the fact that he can't hit right-handed pitching. But I think Victorino is going to help you with a lot of a number of other ways. He's a very good defensive player. He does have intangibles. He's he's been known True. as a smart baseball player. He's going to make good decisions on the field. So I think I think you know what hit him toward the bottom of the line. Yeah, too, and, what, so and, like and I, I also don't role. think Shane Victorino is coming in here expecting to be, you know, let's say the role that he had four years ago with the Phillies. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy he's that not the same player as he was four years ago. Yeah, exactly. With the Phillies either. <laughs> yeah, but you know, for a guy that's going to hit towards the bottom of the lineup, I mean, I I don't I don't think I don't think it'll turn out to be a bad thing. I think if he if he if it ends up that that he is he is having some issues at the plate, he could become a platoon player. But I think that's something that maybe year three you got to worry about as that's opposed a lot to right of money now. For a platoon player, yeah, and I don't, I don't think he'll be a platoon player right now. But down the road, he probably will be. And I think that you know, if a lot of other things work out, the other, a lot of the other players pan out the way we expect, Ellsbury, I, I really do predict is going to have a big year. I think he's going to be close to what he was a couple years ago Just when hope he, he can stay healthy when he that's, was nearly the MVP. The if he's healthy, I think he's going to be fine. Ortiz, I think, by not playing the last you know month or so of the season, is going to kind of renew him to a point where I think he's going to put up big numbers again. And then you you know you still got Pedroia. I mean, Johnny Gomes is gonna is gonna hit the hell out of left hand pitching. And then you know you got Salta Lamacchia who quietly put up some numbers though. There's some issues with him, but I, I think, I think Ross, will be, Ross will be a nice backup there yeah. as well. And he's actually, I play think, more than you think. And I think David Ross would be a starter on a lot of teams. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, the fact that he played the last couple of years with Brian McCann, 
that he didn't get the playing time that he probably should have if he was playing for somebody else. Here's a guy that probably could play 100 to 120 games on a lot of teams, and, and they probably wouldn't lose too much both offensively and defensively. So he, he becomes kind of a complimentary player. I still think that you know you got a guy like Salta Lamakia, you know, Ryan Lavarnway is there. They could potentially look to trade Salto Lamakia still, yep. even up as spring training well, that, starts. That might actually be something that the Red Sox look at now that they, they're looking for someone at first base also. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I know the player, but I don't know him particularly well. Michael Morse, I hear, is on the trading. Yeah, you know what? I was going to get into well. that a little bit. I actually wrote about that in my uh, my Bases Empty blog, which all the listeners know they could check out on the the uh, johnpielli.com website. Another shameless plug, but you know, I, I shamelessly plug hey, all to. all day long. <laughs> but yeah, I wrote about that recently, and actually came up with ten teams that weren't the Boston Red Sox that uh, Michael Morse would be a good fit on. Now the fact that they have a need. And let's be honest. You look at you know you look at Adam Laroche went to Washington, right. frees up a spot for them to trade Michael Morse, you know, to the Red Sox. Yeah. The question the question becomes though, what would they want in return? Well, the Nationals want a left-handed relief pitcher. So if you think of a guy like you know, uh, Andrew Miller and Jar- Jared Saltalamakia out there, now is uh, Frank- Wilson Ramos also is, is Franklin Morales still under contract with the Red Sox? I believe so. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that I think they would be interested in. They I think what they would they would want a lefty reliever that they could put right in there to their bullpen. Obviously, they're they're ready now. They're the Nationals are a now team, so they're going to be looking for somebody to impact them right away. Um, the bullpen is is certainly something that they're trying to improve. You know, starting pitchers they're fine with. Pretty much the rest of the Washington National lineup they're fine with. So really, outside of a left-handed relief pitcher, I would say maybe a couple younger players that could help them. You know, either this season or down the road. Yeah. But well, if, there was talk too that Iglesias was going to be in the deal for for Hanrahan, and that didn't happen. So he's still a, a tradable piece as well. Yeah, exactly. Because they've got Xander Bogarts waiting in the wings, and he's the guy who will be the future shortstop. Yeah, and he's the, the guy they're definitely not trading. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think I think you know you know him. There's there's a potential match there. I just don't know. If, uh, you know, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. They, they could have already had this conversation and not come to agreement. And, and here, here's the problem too. And and I, I I fall into this a lot. You know, when I root for my team, or I even look at the best interest of a certain team. You got to realize there's so many other teams that are thinking, "What can we do now to get to better?" Get Mike, well, so to get, so, to get more. So well, he's a young player. He's yeah, got, he's got. A, yeah, he's a 31 great years old. He's got a good. You know, he's only signed till the end of the season, about 6.5 million. So it, it's it's very affordable for for a lot of other teams out there. But you know, looking at you know when it comes to free agency and stuff like that, there aren't too many big time power bats that a team could say, "All right, I could put this guy and expect 25 to 30 home runs out of." And I think that's very interesting to look at because, you know, a guy like Michael, Michael Morse is going to be in, in demand when it comes to a lot of teams. And if you look at, you know, other teams in the American League East, whether it's the Yankees, whether it's the Orioles, either one of those teams could benefit of having Michael Morse in their lineup. So I think, they're, you know, it's going to come to, you know, what's the best package. And, you know, we'll get back into this in a little bit. We're going to welcome to the program uh, former Major League outfielder Aaron Guile. Aaron, you there, buddy. It's John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Hey, John. How are you? All right, man. Thanks, thanks for having some time to call in, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Glad to do it. Hey, listen, you ended up playing last year in, uh, in, in Japan. You all, you all finished now, or are you still looking to make a comeback? Well, I, I finished. My, actually, my last season in Japan was 2011. Yeah, 2011. And, then the last, and then I finished playing in the fall. Um, and in the offseason, um, I was kind of debating what I want to do. I didn't I wanted to stay in the game. I didn't want to to uh to get too far away. And so I went in contact with Dayton Moore um and some of the 
the staff and they allowed me to come in as a player coach um, last, yes, starting in March and then staying down in Arizona with all the kids down at the uh, rookie level. So even though I was a player coach, I was really just a full-time coach and it was a way for me to see if, if it was something that I wanted to do and allowed me to, you know, really stay home and enjoy my family because after 20 years, that's definitely something I was looking forward to. Now that was this past season? That was this past season, yeah. All right, so how did that end up turning out for you? Is that something that you could see yourself doing, maybe being maybe more of like a full-time coach? Yeah, you know, a lot of players when they finish, they really have that, that fire still burning inside them to continue to play. And, um, you know, even though, you know, I sit and watch games now, I, I do miss it. But, um, you know, as a kid, you know, you really love the games and the practice is really tedious. But for me, as it got along, um, the last two years, I loved practicing and I didn't enjoy the games as much. And that just that let me know that I was getting to the point where, where you know, maybe I was coming to the end where it was trying to do maybe time to do something else. And, and uh, so when I, I finally retired in, in at the end of the season in, in 2011, I knew I knew that I was I was ready for the transition from player to coach. And when I showed up to spring camp with the Royals. Um, and working with all the young kids, I, I really enjoyed being around that, that young enthusiasm and uh, a lot of kids um, just just kind of come into the game and, and ready for all that knowledge. And, and uh, you know, a lot of the young kids are really open-minded, and uh, it was, it was, I really enjoyed it. And I realized that it's rather than become a player, you know, I was ready. I was ready to do the teaching part of it. Yeah, no question about it, man. I tell you, what really interests me about you and your, your track to the major leagues is you were drafted in 1992 by the California Angels, and it took you 10 years to make it to the major leagues. Tell us a little bit about the trials and tribulations of that, because I mean, to to really have that long of a you know that play that long in the minor leagues and finally get your chance 10 years later probably took its toll on you at some point. Yeah, you know it, it did. Uh, when I was drafted. The opportunities for as being a Canadian player, the opportunities weren't weren't real great for for myself. Not only to get into professional, but even college level programs. Um, there's that that border is a real stumbling block for for guys coming south. Um, since then, it's really opened up. So a lot of Canadians are being drafted. And a lot of Canadians are going to to American schools. But when I did it, it wasn't it wasn't there. I also didn't have a lot of role models around to let me know what to expect. You know, let me know that hey, the minor leagues are a good way to get there, and you know, patience. So, when I was drafted, I was it was the twenty, I believe it was twenty first round. Um, I really had a short term outlook on anything. I wasn't really looking into maybe it, it taking up you know the most the majority of my life. Um, so I was just going to give it a, a brief amount of time, maybe a, you know a summer or two summers. You know, completely unrealistic, and, and uh, you know how things were different, but. Um, every single year, just like when you're that young, you just go to camp, you work, you work, you work hard, you listen to coaches, you try to improve, and at the end of the season, as long as you made a little bit of progress, you feel like you're heading in that right direction. So every year, I made little bits of progress. So by the time I was really um, aware of, of how long this whole thing was going to take, I was already invested in the game, and. Uh, I was already kind of advancing to the point where maybe it wasn't as fast as some of my friends were getting to the big leagues, but it was enough to keep me, you know, on the hook. 
and uh, I really enjoyed competing, enjoyed the game, and uh, I didn't have a lot of other situations. You know, it was like there was always that carrot just out in front, and so I just I continued to play, continued to play, and you know, I was, I was very, very lucky that it ended up paying off. Yeah, no question about it, man. Now, you know, as you as you move forward and you were getting up to where it's seven, eight, nine years in the minor leagues, was there any ever a point where you considered quitting altogether? There, there was there was quite a few quite a few things that would come up that that was quite discouraging. Um, there was, you know, I, I do recall when I I was started with the Angels and I was traded to Pa, and you know, you know they it's kind of a little dose of reality of, of the politics of the game. And you really, you really just got to, you know, accept that because otherwise, um, it's, it's a major, major distraction. Um, uh, but after the Padres, um, after I became a six year free agent, the minor league free agent, the Padres decided not to resign me. And so I was really struggling to find a job. And it wasn't until spring training already began that my, my agent that was in two, in the year 2000, uh, my agent didn't get me a job until uh, it was already into March when teams are already set, rosters were really full because at, at that time they're looking at release players, not pick them up. Well, I went to Oakland A's camp and was released three days later due to a failed physical. Uh, even though I, you know, I was health, I felt healthy, they failed my physical. Um, and I ended up having to go down to Oaxaca, Mexico, play in the Mexican Summer League. Uh, for two months before I actually called my agent again and said, oh, this isn't enough, I'm finished, I'm done. Um, you know, it's I, I don't want to do this anymore, and I'm ready to go home. And uh, I said, I'm going to give you two weeks to uh, find me a job, and, and that's it. And uh, a week later, the, the Royals called, and, and um, you know, I fairly quickly I joined their AAA team. And from then on, you know, by then I had the, you know, the skills and then the confidence to to have num- you know, my numbers where they should be to get a consideration, and two years later I was in the big league. So it was, I went from probably the, the, the bottom where I could go to the top in a matter of two years. No, absolutely, man. Now, Nelson, did you have a, did you have a top moment where you thought you, you were at your, your absolute best or you thought your opportunity for advancement was the best? Well, when I was in AAA, I, um, even with the, the Padres, you know, there was there was times where I was I was playing really well. Numbers were up around 300, um, and I was there with um, you know the late Mike Dar and uh, Gary Matthews Jr., who uh, were two very good friends of mine, and and were also a little younger and on the roster on the 40-man roster. Well, although I was playing better than both of them, when injuries came up, both of those guys were called up, and uh, I really you know this is a time where where when you, when you see an injury and you're hitting 300 in AAA, even though you're not on the roster and you know the realities, um, you can't help but get a little excited. And to be leapfrog like that, you know, it's, it was a little, it was like a punch in the stomach sometimes. And you kind of wonder, you wonder why you continue to do it. And, and uh, for me, the type of person I was, was it just, it just gave me a little bit more motivation to keep, to keep going and keep going. And, you know, it was even even to the point where you know a few years later in 2002, even two weeks before I got called to the major leagues, uh, the Royals were were ready to lose 100 ball games. And this was in June. I was I was having the best year of my career, and there was an injury, and they there was no outfielders on the roster in AAA. So I I assumed, and even my friends were, were ready to congratulate me that it's time to go to the big leagues. 
And instead of taking me, they took uh, another player, another outfielder, who was who had who was you know hitting about 80 points lower, uh, but was a little faster. So it, it makes you scratch your head. And I think that was the point in my life, in my career, where this is as close as I was ever going to get to the big leagues because the everything was all lined up, ready to go. I was playing great. The team was the major league team was playing poorly, and um, there was nobody on the roster, so it was my turn. But they chose somebody else. And I heard later on that um, there were some veterans in the Kansas City clubhouse that were following who said, you know, to, to uh, Allard Baird, who's the GM, why are we bringing up this other player when we have a kid up there down in the AAA who's playing this well that can help us? And seven days later, they decided to actually send that player down and call me back up. So it was, uh, it was a pretty exciting moment. Yeah, no question about it. Now, obviously, your, your your best season in the major leagues was in uh, 2003, where you hit uh, 15 home runs, 277, and 99 games for the Royals. Did did you feel from that point forward that you could sustain your success in the major leagues? Like, you know, for example, you know, once once you had that season, a breakout year of uh, 2003, did you feel like you were in the major leagues to stay? I finally did. You know, in 2002, you get called up and. And uh, you're really walking softly in that clubhouse. You try to be respectful, and you don't feel a part of the group. Um, you're just trying to work hard and, and be a little piece of the puzzle. Um, in 2003, uh, I really felt like it was you know it was my time. Although at you know in spring, in, after spring training, I wasn't uh, I uh, started the year in the minor leagues. But when I call, called up and uh, and things started to go really well, I was starting to have some success. You really start to feel like, okay, it's all paid off. I'm here, and I'm going to be here for, you know, as long as I continue to do what I'm doing, I'm going to be here for a long time, or at least, you know, the foreseeable future, as long as they stay healthy. Uh, but one thing you realize is that it's very difficult to get to the big leagues, but it's even more difficult to stay there. Um, I had some, a few little health issues, but uh, that, that um, kind of sidelined me, but it was at that point that I thought, um, you know that I I was I was able to be there and then stay there, and you know it would have been nice because um, you know with the life in the big leagues is there's nothing like it and it's you you definitely get used to it. Yeah. Now as as you move forward, you end up after the 2006 season, which you split with the Royals and the Yankees, you end up going to Japan for a while. You ended up enjoying some success there. Tell us a little bit about the transition. You know, you end up playing for the the Yakult uh, Swallows, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, uh, well, at the end of the 2006 season, uh, I was you know 2006 was a tough year uh, with the Royals putting me on waivers and and then being claimed you know went from there and then I ended up being claimed by the New York and uh, that turned out to be you know a real turning point in in the late stages of my career. Um, not only getting claimed by them, but but uh, to play for for the Yankees and and what that does for a person's reputation, uh, especially being able to perform under pressure, you know, in that type of environment there with those players and in that stadium and those fans, um, you know, only certain types of, of guys really excel there. Um, but because I had heard rumors about, you know, for three or four years that, that Japan was an option for me, um, I wasn't really ready to do it. Uh, but um, after the 2006 season, and being with the Yankees, it really heated up over uh, with the Japanese teams. And I was faced with the decision. I had a, I had a contract offer from the Colorado Rockies and the Philadelphia Phillies, and I also had a contract offer from the Yakult Swallows. And I looked at uh, all three, and 
you know, with the two major league teams, I was going to be a fourth outfielder. And I, I, I looked ahead to see that realistically at the end of those, and at the end of that season, I was probably going to be exactly where I started, you know, to, to go into the season as, as a fourth outfielder. Uh, it's a tough job to keep, you know, being, trying to become fresh off the bench and everything. And so, uh, I had an opportunity to go to Japan and, um, you know, really, really, uh, become a, a starter again and, 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 uh, set up my family financially as well. So I, uh, actually bypassed the major leagues to uh, those two contracts to go to Japan. And it was just, uh, financially there was more security. And I felt that at that age, I believe I was 35. Um, you know, I, I just felt it was that time and, you know, I, I didn't look back and I'm, now that I sit here looking at my career, it was, it was probably one of the best things that happened for me. Because um, even though I was, you know, 35, ready to move on to something else, it's difficult to say goodbye to the major leagues and that type of life and go to something completely unknown. Yeah, no question about it. Now, did it did it do something for your morale a little bit? You know, being a you know a minor league player, it got a chance to play in the major leagues, but you know, for very small spurts of time, was an everyday player. The chance to go out there in Japan and be an everyday player did that did that do a lot for you mentally to make you you know realize again that you could play the game at that level? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people in the states that aren't familiar with Japanese baseball think that it's a it's a it's a step below. I think the the success that Japan has had in the WBC has gone a long way to uh, for the credibility of the league, but. Um, you know, being a player that's that's been over there, it is a step below the big leagues. Um, the depth and isn't that some very very good quality uh, players over there, and um, they work so tirelessly that the pitchers, um, their command of the strike zone and, and their ability to reproduce pitches and get guys and put guys away is, is excellent, and the players just don't make mistakes. Um, so for me to go over there, I was I was ready to to start again. It kind of it it. Um, it recharged my batteries. I enjoyed that part of it, and um, you know, it was it was like doing something different. So it it uh, brought a little variety to you know to the game after I've played so long, and and uh, for me to be in a different culture and a different um, a different league, and and just to try a new challenge was it was it was exciting. Now, no question. And I'll tell you another thing that I think is interesting is that you look at the the, uh, the quality of players now over the last couple of years that are taking contracts over there and playing there. I do think that it it is growing as far as being a re, you know as respected of a professional baseball league as Major League Baseball because there's there's players that could probably play every day, or you know at least yeah. be, at least be platoon players in the major leagues that are instead taking contracts with with them now. So I think particularly over the last five years, it's certainly grown as far as the uh, the attractiveness for the Major League Baseball player. Yeah, I think it has. Um, I would say that that um, you know. Ichiro was was very very rare and unusual. So was Hideki Matsui. Um, those two guys, um, you know, obviously are extremely talented and, and they're going to be successful everywhere. But I think the key to Japanese baseball is the pitching. Um, you know, they they because of their work ethic. Uh, when I was over there, I've never seen anything like it. Um, these guys, uh, the Japanese players. Um, they go out and they don't have to be told how hard to work. They don't have to be told how many ground balls to take, how many, how much soft toss to do. So, even though the players might be smaller, not as physical, not as strong, um, 
they work so hard at, at what they do, and, and they become such good, polished players. It's such a clean game, and the pitchers, when they take the mound, they're able to, to hit their spots hit consistently with you know multiple pitches, which is something that a lot of players in the States, um, pitching-wise, just cannot do because they just don't work on enough. Um, but I think that um, I think Japanese baseball, as far as pitching, will continue to do well. Offensively, I think you're going to see just every so every few years you might see a decent position player, but I think you'll see the pitch, pitching will continue to turn over. Um, I've I played with Hideki in in, um, in New York, and even even as he got older, he still worked so hard. Uh, he was an example for a lot of guys. And when I went over to Japan to watch how those guys they made me better. The Jap my Japanese team, teammates made me better because. Um, you know, there would be days where I just I was done physically, mentally. Uh, I just wanted to take a break, and 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 these guys would not. And so, you know, you just got to you just got to get over that and keep on going. Um, but I did play against guys like Fukudomi and Iwamura, um, Nishioka. Um, these these different these three players. You know, I played against them in Japan where they dominated, uh, and then they go into the American game where you need to be more of an impact player. And they just were not able to compete. And I think, uh, I think you, as you see players come over that way, um, I think Nakajima is coming over this year. He's he's a really talented shortstop. I believe he's with Oakland now. Um, yeah. He's a really talented player as well. But I'm when they come from Japan over to the United States, you know, I think uh, it's really difficult to predict whether whether the impact guys from Japan, position player wise, can have the same type of impact. In, in America, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot of exciting pitching prospects. Yeah, no question, man. There's definitely some good insight there, and a lot of you know a lot of stuff that we could definitely relate to. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League outfielder Aaron Guile. Aaron, before I let you go, I wanted to get a little bit of your opinion on the uh, the recent Hall of Fame balloting and the fact that they the uh, baseball writers elected nobody in this year. You know, I think it's really disappointing. Um, you know, and there's so many aspects of this disappointing. There's the, the least, well, not the least of which is is the impact that it has on 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 the city and the and the Hall of Fame in general. You know, every year you you tune in, you watch, um, you see the players getting inducted. You recall memories of maybe what these guys did, and you know that it has a huge huge impact on fans and and um, and the city of Cooperstown in general and just the whole institution. It's it's disappointing to see that that nobody's going in, and I certainly understand. Um, you know why nobody was voted in this year? Uh, I've listened to a lot of of the arguments for and against what's going on, and you know i I have a I have the opinion that um, I have a problem with with uh, a lot of the voting process. I think there's a lot of, of guys that that do submit a vote that probably shouldn't have a vote. Um, I'm you know I think that uh, I don't think you necessarily have had to to have been a player to to be able to judge the game. I mean. You look at certain players. Certain um, there's some excellent reporters that are are great on the uh, great at analyzing the game. You know, a guy like Peter Gammons or or uh, you know Joe Posnanski or you know these types of guys. I think they're great at looking at it, and they they deserve a vote. But definitely somebody some of these other guys I don't think um, have got it right. And um, this year with the voting, I think you're seeing a lot of um, guys. Obviously, guys that. That there's a lot of suspicion out there on uh, whether they did or they did not, and you know I, I don't think there's you know I'm am de- definitely not going to be able to solve the argument, but um, 
I'm a big fan of of, uh, of Biggio. I'm I'm a big fan of Jack Morris and and these guys that that um, there is no suspicion around and and yet um, I think they're I think it's all having an effect on on um, on whether the writers vote for guys even though there was zero suspicion. I think it's I think it's very uh, uh, I think it's very unfortunate that guys that that haven't been convicted haven't been suspended um, there there's no there's no evidence and they're still being penalized. I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you, one of the things that bothers me, and whether you know whether you want to, uh, you know, be part of the should the steroids players be in or not, I just think that this particular year there were so many players that played in past generations that were Hall of Fame type players that didn't get in this year, and I just think that the whole issue and everything going on with the steroids kind of ruined it for for everybody. There, to, in my opinion, is pretty much this: there was too many. Hall of Fame type players eligible this year to not have anybody elected. I totally agree. And look at what's going to happen next year when you've got you know three or four you know really top quality guys that are going to join. It's going to make it even tougher for some of these guys. And I'm not saying my opinion is correct, but if I was to go to the Hall of Fame, I know people have um, suspicions and and it's whether it's I would lean towards saying that there, you know, obviously there's players in the in the, this, this class that are guilty of it, but um, I just think that it's 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 um, it's pretty sad if you would go to the Hall of Fame and the home run king, the all-time home run leader, is not in there. Um, a, you know, a, a uh, you know a multiple Cy Young winner is not in there. Um, but again, if if if, a, if somebody doesn't vote for somebody because there was in the court of law, or, or there was there's evidence that, that um, is against a certain guy. I understand people not voting for him, but if there's nothing that um, is linked to a certain player, then I think it's wrong to to not vote for that player just because you maybe have an opinion and you think that that maybe they were in an era or or uh, or maybe that there was suspicion. But if there's no evidence, you can't you can't condemn somebody. What people also have to realize is that. For some of these players, and they're saying it's a steroid era, and the numbers are all inflated. Remember that there was also pitchers in that same era that that um, were probably, you know, taking performance-enhancing drugs also. So there, there was a may, possibly somebody who's, you know, it's it's not like an uneven um, playing field. It's, it's it's a pretty even playing field. And now one more question before I let you go: As you played in the major leagues, um, what percentage, if you could? Do you think are, are uh, were players using in the time that you played? Well, it's a tough question. I mean, if if I had if I had definite knowledge, I would I would answer it as direct as I can. But the truth is, when when I came to the big leagues in 2002, um, there was a work stoppage or a potential work stoppage at the end of the year, and part of that the resolution to that work stoppage was through drug testing. So in 2003, my first full year in the big leagues, there was it, albeit there was um, weren't names associated with it. There was just everybody was a number. So when I first got to the, basically my entry into the big leagues, there was drug testing. And all throughout my minor league career, they have very strict drug testing in the minor league. So although I although I heard discussions um, and I I had I had little brief discussions with players that I know were taking something, um, you know, I, if if you were to ask me my opinion. The numbers are very, very low because that's my firsthand knowledge of guys that I spoke with and guys that I saw 
you know, their bodies changing, it, it was not near as high. So, um, you know, I'd probably be the wrong guy to ask because I only played, you know, four months before there was drug testing implemented. And I know that as we talk, I mean, a bunch of players spoke who said, you know, this, this is this drug testing is coming. Let's all be responsible and, you know, let's do the right thing. And I, I think a lot of players did, but obviously a lot of players did not. It wasn't something that, you know, it was like the old Oakland A's days where it was discussed openly in the Kansas City locker room because, you know, it wasn't. And it was for me to look across the room there, I'm the same as a fan looking at a guy in a uniform. Um, nobody ever talked to me about it. And um, if, if I was to think it, it was based on suspicion alone. That's, that's, that's fair enough, and I, I do appreciate you take, taking the time to answer you know, what, what is kind of a difficult question. Listen, Aaron, I want to thank you for having some time today. A lot of great insight. I appreciate you going over a lot of things that went on in your career, and hopefully I could have you on the show sometime in the near future. Sounds good. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. And that was Aaron Guile, former Major League outfielder, played with the Royals from 2002 to 2006, a little bit with the Yankees there, and then had his career in Japan with the Yakult Swallows, where he actually had some good good offensive seasons. And you know, a guy that waited 10 years in the minor leagues to get to the major leagues, which I think is a phenomenal story. But um, listen, we're going to have to take a quick break. It's not going to be long. Um, we're going to go finish up uh, the passball show here right here on the MB- MTR Radio Network. I'll be back after this. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. This is the Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're finishing up here, and uh, obviously a lot of the talk has been about the Baseball Hall of Fame voting, which went through yesterday. Obviously nobody getting in, um, you know, including you know good players like Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Mike Piazza, Jack Morris, Tim Raines. They all finished in the top five, getting over 50% of the vote. And, you know, it's unfortunate, and I've said that it's a damn near travesty that you know, nobody got in this year. And I think it's, you know, everybody puts the correlation, the connection between the steroid guys and the non-steroid guys. There was enough players that didn't even play in the steroid era that could have made the Hall of Fame this year. And I'm probably, and I'm sure there's other people that feel this way, or maybe even a little bit more. I, I, I just feel that if Barry Larkin's in a Hall of Fame, Alan Trammell belongs. And I'll keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. The careers matched up that well together they both played their whole career with the same team won a world series championship and one guy gets in and one guy doesn't so i think it's time for the baseball writers to wake up and start start thinking about guys like alan trammell fred mcgriff tim raines even lee smith to some extent who i i'm not as much of an advocate for as much as i am the other guys 
But, you know, players that have nothing to do with steroids need to get some more consideration now. And I thought this was the opportunity, the chance, the total best, best chance for these writers to keep the focus and the attention away from steroids by electing a player, even if it was Jack Morris. And I do think that Jack Morris falls a little bit short when it comes to the criteria in the Hall of Fame. But to honor one person, one player, as opposed to nobody, would have taken so much of the attention off the steroids like it's been right now. And to be honest, I'm exhausted. I've had enough talking about this whole issue with the Baseball Hall of Fame and steroids. So we're going to move on. Let's have a quick talk, and we're going to, we're going to summarize the Mets offseason. Okay, we just finished that. So that segment of the program is all done. You know, the Mets obviously aren't doing anything this offseason, have no intention of doing anything this offseason. So that's all over with. But we're going to move on. A couple of things I went over in my blog most recently. Of course, I got I touched on the, the Hall of Fame thing yesterday. And if you have a chance, I thought it was a very well-put-together article. You know, I'll let you, the reader, be the judge of whether it was good or not. But I, I did feel, you know, pretty confident when I put that together that it was at least a useful piece of reading material. So if you want to check it out, mtrmedia.com and also johnpielli.com, Bases Empty blog, to take a look at that article. But, you know, we got into a couple a couple different things. And I talked about one what I, what I thought was pretty interesting the other day. And not, not a lot of people were really in favor of this. But some of the worst names in Major League Baseball history. Because let's be honest, there's been some god-awful names of players that, you know, whether it, whether it's, you know, players like Urban Shocker or Jung Bong or even a lot of the uh, sexually oriented names when it came to a guy like Pete LeCock or Dick Pole, Rusty Kuntz. And uh, the worst of all was Johnny Dickshot. And Johnny Dickshot, of course, played for a couple teams in the 30s and early 40s with the White Sox and the Pirates and the Giants. And 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 it's just it's just the whole purpose of the article and the whole purpose of me thinking was just where does it come to that players end up with names like this? And I just I just don't have an answer. It totally shocks me. I got into a little bit about Rogers Hornsby, who uh, obviously you know his name is not terrible, and obviously one of the best players to ever play in this game in the twenties and of course the early thirties. And he had probably the ten best 10-year stretch of any player to ever play this game. And I know, you know, if you studied it, if you researched it, if you got into the stats and broke it down, you may say some guys around the turn of the century maybe had 10 better years, but not in succession. Rogers Hornsby from 1921 to 1925 hit 402 for the five-year period, not just one season. And for the 10 years of 1920 to 1929, hit 382. That was 2,085 for 1,451. Over that decade, he won seven batting titles. Led the league in on-base percentage eight times. Slugging eight times. OPS nine times. OPS plus nine times. Six times in total bases. Four times in RBIs. Twice in homers. Once in triples. Four times in doubles. Four times in hits. And five times in runs scored. And what I thought was the most intriguing and important fact of the decade of Rogers Hornsby from 1920 to 1929 was. He had over 125 RBIs five times, 40-plus doubles seven times, and 120-plus runs scored 
six times. And you could look at the best of Babe Ruth, the best of Ty Cobb, the best of even Barry Bonds. And none of them had a decade like Rogers Hornsby did. And, you know, it was ironic that it was the 20s, 20 to 29. But I would even, you know, you know, lengthen the scope to say any 10-year period. That you can you, you would find very few players, if any, that had as good of a decade as Rogers Hornby did in that decade. Now, of course, you know, getting on to the current things, if you just heard recently the uh, Red Sox have decided to abandon their agreement with free agent first baseman catcher Mike Napoli, which makes him a free agent again. Obviously, there is concern about his issues when it comes to his hip, and the Red Sox and Mike Napoli ended up uh, ending their uh, their contractual agreement, making him a free agent again. Brings me back to Michael Morse, who I think, in addition to the 10 teams that I mentioned in my article the other day, probably you could throw the Boston Red Sox in there as they obviously missed out on what they thought would have been the second option, which would have been to bring in free agent first baseman Adam LaRoche, who ends up re-signing with the Washington Nationals. The Red Sox were a little bit against it because they didn't want to give up the draft pick compensation, and I think they were pretty stead, st- you know, pretty, pretty to the point of wanting to stick to the two-year deal that they originally offered. I don't think they wanted anything to do with the third year, even if it was an option, which is what LaRoche ends up agreeing to with the Washington Nationals. So, I think it ends up working out best for the Nationals and LaRoche and even the Red Sox for not having surrendered a draft pick, but it leaves the Boston Red Sox without a first base option coming into this season. And Mike Napoli would have probably been the center of their free agent signing class. Even if you want to give credit to signings like Shane Victorino and Steven Drew and Ryan Dempster and the trade for Joel Hanrahan, their best move, their more most impactful move probably was the signing of Mike Napoli. And now they have to backtrack and figure out where they're going to go from here. And I think you can come up with a lot of different options. Um, There are some guys out there, probably not as much attention given to them. There are some trade propositions. I think one would certainly consider the Red Sox in it for Michael Morse at this point. But now they have to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out what they want to do for first base this season. And I do think that that will cap off their offseason. Listen, what are they going to do? I really don't have an answer. James Loney was acquired in the the Adrian Gonzalez trade. He leaves as a free agent to go to Tampa Bay. Are are there some other options via trade? Listen, I'm going to have to take some time to actually think about this one, but there is a possibility of a Carlos Lee. You know, whether the Red Sox want to take a chance on him, probably money-wise wouldn't kill them right now. I I don't think it's a situation where... He's going to hurt him as far as the, you know, in the wallet. He could probably settle for a three to five million deal, year deal for one year contract, probably even less on the lesser end of it. But, you know, the question is how much does this guy have left? The guy that does look aged out there. He looks like he's a guy that doesn't move as well as he did. The power certainly isn't where it was a couple of years ago. And I think these are all things that have to be considered at this point. But. But stay tuned to the Bases Empty blog. I'm going to put something together to pr- try to figure out what the best options for the Red Sox first baseman is. If I get home tonight in time, maybe I'll throw it together then. But jumping around, of course, like we want to do here in a past ball show. Um, listen, I, I wrote a good column the other day. We we're talking about relievers switching the starters. And, you know, you see a lot of pitchers you know, end up kind of doing both over the course of their career. 
And this really was centered around Brett Myers, who's going to go back to being a starter again this year. And if you ask any pitcher as far as what do they want to do, do they want to relieve, do they want to be a starter, I'm going to tell you it's up in the high 90s, 95 to 99% of all pitchers want to be starters. And they're going to exhaust every opportunity to be a starting pitcher until it's taken away from them. And Brett Myers was a guy who started his career as a starter, only relieved for a little bit with Philadelphia. And then, you know, the option became, say, in the last year of his three-year deal with Houston that to make him the closer. He ended up relieving last year, making 70 appearances for the Astros and the Chicago White Sox. He ends up signing a $7 million one-year contract with the Cleveland Indians to be a starter again. And you look at other guys who have done it. Derek Lowe had success at both. John Smoltz, who was obviously going to go in the Hall of Fame as a starting pitcher, had success as a reliever. Dennis Eckersley was a very good starting pitcher before he became a, a Hall of Fame closer. Adam Wainwright, you look at the season he had in 2006 with the Cardinals, had a phenomenal season as a reliever, was a dominant closer in a one postseason, helping the Cardinals win the World Series that season. Braden Looper, who his last three years of his career was a starter, didn't have as much success as a starter as he did as a reliever, but he still, he still made some starts. Other guys, Rick Aguilera, who remember came up as a starter with the New York Mets before having a very good career as a relief pitcher, most notably for the Minnesota Twins. And other guys certainly deserve some, uh, some discussion. So a lot, of, a lot of players, and, and really the one common denominator here is that they want to be starters until they are absolutely told that they can't be a starter anywhere. You go back with the Mets and you make the Aaron Heilman argument, uh, you know, a guy that you know, maybe to this day feels like he was screwed because he felt like he could have been a starter and never got a chance to see if he could make it as a major league starting pitcher and ends up having to be a reliever and he's just about out of the game right now. I don't know if he's going to give it a crack in spring training for a team in 2013, but to this point, you know, he's kind of failed as a reliever. Maybe in his head how good of a starting pitcher he could be. But that's the, that's the thing here. All pitchers want to be starters. And I, and I tell you, it's something that's really not going to change. But, you know, listen, some things definitely, you know, on the horizon. I do think there are going to be some moves going on now if we're going to talk about the rest of uh, Major League Baseball. Getting up to spring training, which, let's be honest, is not that far away. We're getting pretty close. And, you know, the beginning of March, obviously, I'll be taking my trip down to Port St. Lucie to check things out like I do every year. Hopefully between now and then the Mets do something. If not, listen, I'm going to go watch some baseball. I'm going to give you some analysts and probably do a show from down there. So listen, on behalf of Wired for Sports, Chris Mitchell, Chris Spiziali, and of course former Major League outfielder Aaron Guile, this is John Pielli in the Past Ball Show. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Definitely going to get back at it next week from 5 to 7 p.m. Be sure to check out the lineup tonight on the MTR Radio Network, we got uh, MTR Sports Report, Philly Baseball Beat, and a lot of other shows coming on. So definitely stay tuned.